Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan, and on this week's episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we are going to be exploring how your own adult attachment style uh, impacts the way in which you parent your children and how to kind of take that information to increase a felt sense of safety within your home. Uh, to help me with this conversation, I have an adult attachment expert who is a practicing psychotherapist and social worker in Canada, Toronto. Her name is Annette Cussin, and I'm so excited to have her here. We are going to geek out about attachment, so be prepared, my dear listener. Annette, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, you know, who you are, what you do, and then we'll jump in. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. So as you said, I'm a social worker and psychotherapist, marriage and family therapist, and I have been interested in attachment for many, many years, and then interested in adult attachment, also many years, but a little more recently. I'm trained in it, and I've trained to do the adult attachment interview. I've worked with Dan Hughes. I was part of a group that he started. I worked with adopted children and their attachment issues, again, for many years. But it certainly wasn't my original work, but that's kind of what I've been focused on now for probably 20 20 years at least. So absolutely my belief system. If I see the world from an attachment lens and certainly all of the issues that I see. At this point in my career, I'm mainly interested in training. So I get lots of workshops. I supervise people and writing. So I've written two books and I hope I will continue to write. Yeah. Two lovely books on attachment. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us, just kind of before we get started, I think a lot of our listeners will be familiar with attachment theory and how it applies to young children and infants. They know the difference between attachment theory and attachment parenting, the mode of parenting popularized by the seers and how they're really not related at all. Um, So they understand those things. But what is the difference between infant attachment and adult attachment? Can you tell us how they're related and kind of just to frame our conversation. So adult attachment certainly uh, is based on your early attachment experiences, but it is also based on what happens to you in your later childhood and adolescence. So it's sort of both kind of experiences. So you can have had a difficult early childhood experience 
But if you had some positive experiences later, then that might, might change your adult attachment. But typically, your early childhood attachment is also going to evolve into your adult attachment. Uh, and it's based on, again, the work of Mary Ainsworth and Mary May. Um, and they certainly established the category of the adult attachment um, by trying to understand the mothers of the children that they had already determined their attachment. So it's very much connected, but other experience after early childhood can also very much influence the evolution of your adult attachment. Okay. And so how would the average person see their own adult attachment style manifested in their daily lives? Maybe not even as parents, just adults. Yeah. So again, there are three categories of adult attachment or four categories of adult attachment, similar to child attachment. So what's interesting is that Mary Main, who established this, gave them a different name in adulthood. And I'm not quite sure why. I've been trying to find that out. So secure attachment in children is called autonomous attachment in adults. And it, it really makes sense because it means if you have a secure attachment as an adult, then you have the capacity both to sort of be in intimate relationships, but you also have the capacity to be a separate autonomous human being. So it just it is that combination that I think is is why um, the name autonomous is really useful and relevant. Yeah, I like that. You know, because the attachment is really all about um, autonomy and relatedness and the interplay between the two. And so, yes, yeah. So if you're going to be a secure adult, you have that capacity for both union and separate. Yeah, love it. Yeah. And then there's three insecure attachments again, similar to child attachment. So the first is called preoccupied attachment, which is anxious attachment in childhood. So people with a preoccupied attachment have a lot of anxiety, are, are pretty dependent kind of human beings. Their whole sense of self is based on their relationships. They are highly sensitive to being abandonment for somebody not being mm -hmm. available. And then they have real poor capacity to regulate their effect. So if somebody's not available, they're going to become highly anxious, very angry, and will have difficulty controlling. So that's kind of a very basic description of, of that. Avoidant attachment in childhood is called dismissing. And again, it does make sense because it means if you have been an avoidant child, then you avoid intimacy, you, you devalue uh, you know, attachment and, and connection. And then as an adult, you continue that. So you try to avoid close relationships. You're much more emphasizing accomplishment, achievement, the activities that you have. And therefore, again, you're less emotionally available. And again, there are ranges. So you can have a dismissing where you're truly out of touch with feelings. So if somebody said, how are you feeling? You actually would not even know what they're asking. And, and versus somebody who's kind of touch with feelings, but just can't express them. So again, very difficult for people that are dismissing to be vulnerable, uh, to be emotionally available, but they can be very successful in their lives. So these are, you know, typically would be your uh, workaholic, you know, highly successful in their jobs. Um, but if you ask the people who are close to what they're like in those relationships, that's where you would hear, you know, he's not emotionally available, right? That mm. kind of thing. Why is that? Why why would someone why would an avoidant attachment style in 
childhood and a dismissive attachment style in adulthood, why would that be protective or helpful for, you know, like what, why does that develop? Well, it, it typically develops if you have an avoidant attachment it means you have parents that really are not emotionally available to you. Mm -hmm. um, so you end up shutting down your needs, your wants, your feelings, because nobody's available to meet them. Mm -hmm. But you might come to believe but if I'm really good at what I do, if I really become the perfect student, the perfect sports person, maybe that will bring some closeness mm -hmm. to parents. So typically, if you have those kind of narcissistic parents or parents who are also dismissing and overvalue achievement, that child will do anything. I mean, all of attachment is we do anything to get close, and that's how. Uh, again, it's all in this service of getting close to parents, but yeah. it does mean you don't, you're not in touch with and you don't value your own needs, your own wants, your own interests. So yeah. repress all of that. <sighs> so, you know, it's interesting as I'm hearing you describe these, and I know we have one more to, to look at, but I'm just thinking about the listener. And I, for me, it's so much easier to see my parents in those to like, note, like notice my experience. And I feel like it must be hard sometimes to see yourself, to give that like kind of a, a self-assessment. Um, it's hard for us to be honest and aware and introspective on kind of what's going on for us. So maybe after you tell us about the kind of that last adult attachment style maybe we can talk about how we can figure out for ourselves because it's so easy to look at other people and see their patterns you know but much harder for ourselves yeah okay well, so the, la the well, last the last one is on oh go ahead sorry <laughs> i'll share you my own experience because yeah. you know when i was reading about adult attachment and and how useful it would be to see clients i read about myself and i was totally i mean i've been a uh, in therapy, I've been a therapist, and when I read about dismissing, because that's kind of part of what I am, I thought, oh my God, that describes me, and I wish that I had known about that particular category or been able to understand myself from that lens, because it turned out to be very helpful. Yeah. So I actually think it's a very helpful and useful way of understanding. Oh, myself. me too, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the last category for infants is disorganized attachment, right? So no clear strategy for how to bring a caregiver closer. What, what, how does that manifest in adulthood? So it's called unresolved in adulthood because typically it means you had traumatic experiences that never got resolved in your childhood, in your later childhood, in your adolescence. And so mm -hmm. they're kind of still getting played out. And you're right, it, people, kids that have, uh, disorganized attachment, it means uh, that there's no strategy that they develop to be able to get close to the parent because the parent was pretty frightening or uh, unpredictable. So these are kids that just did not have an organized way of getting parents involved. And that continues. But in adulthood, really, is that you see the world in relationships is pretty dangerous. So um, you might have a little more of an organized strategy. Um, and that's really going to partly depend on how you responded to the frightening experiences in childhood, how your brain responded, fight, flight, freeze, right? Mm -hmm. so, so by adulthood, you might have one of those as a more organized strategy. But 
typically you're still pretty disorganized internally. And that's how unresolved people would describe themselves, that they just feel that disorganization internally. Mm -hmm. And so, again, they have a really difficult time in relationships. Um, they're triggered by all kinds of experiences that they never got resolved. Um, so it is a really uh, painful and difficult attachment category. To have. Yeah. I know when I was, um, before I went to grad school, I worked in a lab that, in, in an attachment lab. And it was a, in a, a marriage conflict <laughs> research project like a marital conflict research project but they did strange situations with the families that were in the in the study and so I got to code strange situations with older children with and so it was, it was a, a, a kind of an adapted protocol that made put together anyway so I there was one child who had a disorganized attachment in it and it was really just disconcerting to see her response to when she was left alone in the room she had a freeze response and she just froze and stood like a statue the entire time and it was really sad and really hard to see and I can imagine that painful feeling within within a person that sense of that of disorganized not knowing what to do overwhelm could be really intense as an adult too well absolutely but as a parent if you have an unresolved attachment it means you're going to pretty much repeat what happened yeah. as a child you don't have an organized way of being a parent either yeah right? yeah okay so I feel I feel like it makes complete sense to me that understanding these aspects for yourself would be really helpful in understanding kind of the default language that maybe comes out of our mouth when we're in tricky moments with our kids. But before we get there, I would really love to know, so how can a parent, you know, so maybe they heard themselves a little bit as we were talking here, but how could a parent go about figuring out their own adult attachment style so that they can understand kind of where they're coming from and meet themselves with a little bit more grace and compassion and awareness? Yes, I'm glad you added that piece, because what's really important in understanding adult attachment is it's truly a non-judgmental way yeah. of understanding yourself. And that's the baseline. So it's really important that you don't do this critically, even if you're in an insecure yes. category, that you have to be kind to yourself as you begin to understand. I have these, you know, limitations in the way I'm parenting and the way I'm being in a relationship. So, so that. I I'm so glad you brought like that you held that up to the light and I really appreciate it. My favorite phrase to use when we're talking about things like it, this is, and it makes sense. It makes sense that a yes. person would have these strategies yes. given what they went through as children. It, these, all of these things make really good sense. So that's exactly right. It makes sense. It's non-judgmental, and also yeah. important that you don't judge your own parents. Yes. Does that make sense too? Got passed down to them as well. <laughs> we want to certainly break the generational, you know. Pattern. Yeah. I mean, that's what so many of the our listeners are attempting to do. I call them my inflection point parents. They they're the point in their family history where things are going to change, and that's what they're wanting to do. And so we can't do that without awareness. So. If we're at that stage, we're looking to see, okay, so what is my adult attachment style? How can they go about finding finding out? So, I mean, the most accurate way is to have somebody do your adult attachment interview. 
So that's a structured questionnaire that somebody has to be trained to do it. And then it is scored and that when somebody offers you the feedback. Now, the limitations of that are that there are very few people trained to offer and score the adult attachment interview, and it takes hours, so it is expensive. Most people in public service, I mean, if you work for an agency, I don't imagine any agency is going to give you hours and hours and hours to do this. If you're in private practice, you're not going to be able to charge somebody hours and hours and hours of your time. So it, it is more limited. However, I think we've started to use it more flexibly. So when I started doing this, I was sure Mary Mane was going to come and find me and sue me because <laughs> I was using it more flexibly. But I think, you know, since Dan Siegel and, and lots of other people have come to really say, we have to be able to use this more use, you know, in a, in a more clinically useful way and in a more flexible way. It can't just stay in the ivory tower of our literature, like, you know, in journals that the public can't access. And that's one of the primary reasons why I left academia, because I was, I was, I wanted to be on the ground with parents. So it is a research tool and a very valuable one. Of course. I really like it to really um, help people once therapists use it, you know, more flexible clinically and I trained people to do it so I train people but I make it very clear what we're getting is an impression of one's adult attachment this is not like this you know research that would be absolutely uh, accurate it is an impression so that's certainly one way to learn about your adult attachment and the other is really to look at the different categories and the behavioral descriptions um, and to see which fits. Now, sometimes people don't fit into one category, but I tend to think that you would really identify with one particular category over another. And you can have more than one. So you can have a primary, and then you can have a secondary, maybe even tertiary. But typically, we have one particular way of being in relationships that we use you know, in our most intimate relationships, so, and in our parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my first book, It's Attachment, I certainly list, you know, the descriptions, you know, pretty, yeah, clear kind of way. So that, so people can really begin to see themselves in, in a particular category or not. I repeat that a little bit in this book. So, you know, again, that's, I think so. Her book? first book was its attachment, and then her second book is secure parent, secure child. So that's that's I think the best way for most people is to look at the behavioral descriptions of each category and see which kind of applies to you best, you know, and that and makes sense to you. Again, it really is makes sense. Yeah, I love I love that makes sense line. <laughs> and then you will see how it also makes sense in the way that you parent. Um, and again, it is non-judgmental. So I've got to keep emphasizing that. So, you know, even if you see yourself in a really insecure category, um, it's just a kind way of understanding yourself and it really will offer you ways to change. Okay. Um, So I feel like we could go one of two ways right now, Annette. One is to go into 
the I, the prospect of changing of becoming more secure within ourselves and having that be reflected in our parenting and the other one is to kind of give some examples of what different parents look like in different scenarios and i know you have tons of examples right in your book so we right. certainly don't want to give them all right now you know cuz it would just would take too much time but i think a couple examples would be really helpful so maybe we'll go there first and then we can talk about how we can maybe move and shift into more secure interactions with our kids okay so maybe we can look at different categories I'll kind of do a brief description of them and give you an yeah. example and then we'll, you know then we'll look at how do you change that yeah yeah sounds good so the first of course is preoccupied attachment and, and as I was saying that's where people really have poor affect regulation they're typically very dependent people so again their whole sense of self is based on relationships and they're hypersensitive to somebody not being available to them. So those patterns of that kind of neediness is really going to be in your adult attachments. However, if you are really worried about where is my husband, my partner, why didn't he call me? You know, he said he would call me at noon and he didn't call me. And you're just preoccupied with that. That's going round and round in your brain and what I call the limbic loop. So you're <laughs> just thinking about that all the time, getting angry or more resentful. Well, if you're really stuck in that loop, you are not available to your children. In fact, you become annoyed by your children because you're worried about your own needs, right? Mm. And you're preoccupied with that. <clears throat> and your children pick up, of course, you're not consistently available to them because you're somewhere else in your brain. So they mm -hmm. start, you know, mommy, mommy, they're going to do what they need to do, even cause some problems, all in the service of getting you involved. Getting you um, closer. Yeah. Very hard. And you're going to get angrier and angrier kids because mm -hmm. you're worried about something else. So that's that dynamic. And you have to learn to really somehow pull yourself out of that preoccupation and be available to your children. And it just helps if you know that. And again, in a really kind way, mm -hmm. it says, I know I'm really worried about why, you know, my husband John hasn't called me, but I And that makes sense, but. I have yeah. to pay attention to my kids because they're my priority. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Do you ever see parents engaging in preoccupied behaviors with their own children, yep. feeling insecure about their parenting, wanting reassurance. Am I a good mom? You know, that, you know, am I, you know, do you like being my kid? You know, that, that kind of preoccupation, yep. ha so, like having it flow that direction. Right. So there is sort of different ways preoccupied parents, parents. One is that they're really inconsistently available. And the other is they're over-involved. Over because when I say your whole sense of self, is based on relationships, it's also based on your relationship with your kids. So you need them to be, mm -hmm. you know, successful, active, but it really is for your own need. So I had a case once where this parent, this was through the, the AI, was telling me that her mother was like really involved in all these school activities. She went to every game. She would be on the bus organizing trips to wherever her kid, you know, was in this, in the, whatever, the league, the hockey league or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this woman said to me, 
all I wanted was for my mother to leave me alone and not, little space. Come, <laughs> not come on these trips. Because what gave this mother a sense of self and meaning in life was her kids' activities. And she needed her kid to be successful and being busy in all these activities for her needs, not her kid. So that is an example of, again, of a preoccupied mother who really is too occupied, uh, too involved in her kids' activities to meet her own needs. So that's I, that. Yeah, yeah. So such a good example. Can I provide a personal example of, yeah, of this and what you. this can look like when you are aware and you're bringing that awareness to kind of the in-the-moment interactions? So I, I definitely identify with leaning preoccupied in my own attachment style. I have to be aware of it a lot. I feel very secure in my my relationship with my partner. We've done a lot of beautiful therapy. A lot of healing has happened there, which is really good. But with my kids, I I just have to be aware of it. I'm just not getting sucked into that feedback loop. I had a very preoccupied dad he was exactly like the parent that you were just <laughs> describing. And so I have to be just really aware of those things. So I go to my, when I'm feeling a little insecure about my relationships with my children, instead of turning to them, I turn to my partner and I, and I help, I explain I'm feeling insecure. I know I can get that reassurance for myself, but I'd love some reassurance from you. Am I a good mom? So I go to an adult to get that reassurance need met. And then I also have to be really present with myself in moments where I'm witnessing hmm, other feedback in relationships. So just as an example, my daughter is just turned 11. Today's her birthday. And her class went on a camping trip and she asked me to be the shop, be a chaperone because she wanted me there at night. I slept in my own tent. That was the plan, but she wanted me at there at night. But then she asked me, she goes, but mom, I want you to treat me like I'm one of the all other kids. Like you're, I'm not your daughter, that I'm just one of the other students. And that was, of course, hard for me. There was another mom there who I uh, had has a sweet relationship with her daughter and they were cozied up by the fire. You know, it was a really rainy, terrible camping trip. I mean, it was a good camping trip, but it was terrible weather. She, they were cozied up by the fire and my daughter wanted nothing to do with that. And so I had to be very aware and very present with myself in the moment while that was happening of meeting her stated need for my presence and what I needed versus my own kind of inner like anxious need <laughs> to be close to her and kind of yeah. have that feedback about our relationship. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I mean, it that's exactly, exactly what we're talking about here, right? Exactly what we're talking about. That's exactly right. And it's not easy. It, it was hard. A lot of like little self conversations, you know, our, my parent relationship does not have to look like other people, you know, just lots of self reassurance, you know, but. but but what you described is a great example of your own awareness. Yes. Yeah. So that's what's really crucial, changing how you are with your kids. So one of the things that I talk about in this book is that you may not fully change your adult attachment category. Like that takes a lot of years of therapy. But if you have the awareness, then you can say, I have to, you know, not get over involved in my kid. That's my need. Just like you're saying, you have that self-examination and self-awareness, that in itself will help just not transfer your attachment to your child. Yes, that's yeah. always been my hope. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a great example. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. Oh, that feels good <laughs> to my anxious little heart. <laughs>
Um, okay, so we talked about preoccupied uh, parents. What about dismissing parents? Yeah, so dismissing parents are quite the opposite. So they're truly unemotionally available. Emotions are not, you know, something they're comfortable with themselves and have a really difficult time expressing that with kids. So again, they're the parents that are going to really emphasize uh, achievement in their kids. Um, they're going to be what we call executive functioning, loving parents. So they're going to be good at, you know, um, having wonderful meals and making sure your kids are in activities and taking your kids to activities. Kids going to be well dressed and, you know, all of those things that are important. all the outside markers, yeah, but yeah. they're but it's not like real emotional love and being there for your kid in an mm-hmm. emotional way, but they can appear to be good parents, right? You know, so we hear about that. Oh, wow. She's just amazing mother. You know, she, her kid brings the best lunches to school. She's, and she's so all, together. She's just got it so, so together. together right. <laughs> yeah. um, but then you ask the child, who would you go to for emotional support? Um, and it wouldn't be mommy and it might not be daddy, right? So, and then again, these are parents that are going to emphasize achievement in their children. So they need their children either to be, you know, high academic achievers or just to be a certain way. So it isn't necessarily academic achievement. It is to be the good child. Um, it is to be the pretty child. Whatever that is, uh, that's how that gets passed on. But they really... Uh, are not emotionally available. Kids will come to know that pretty early in life and won't go to their parent when they're emotionally upset and vulnerable. And again, they learn to repress that as well. So, you know, a great example of that is I also had a, a client that it was his daughter had been a really high achiever and then suddenly stopped initially going to like a skipping classes not being with her peers so much to the point that she actually withdrew from school and didn't wouldn't get out of bed mm. um, and when I met with his father because the mother was really concerned and really trying to emotionally support her kid when I met with the father I actually did an A on him but even before I did that it turned out he was really just missing and always felt terrible because he tried to be again the best kid, the highest achieving, and he never made it to the best university where he was and always felt like a failure, even though he was highly successful. And he had passed this, these values and this belief his daughter had that the way she got daddy's love was she had to be, I get the best marks in school. And she got a really poor mark in one course. Mm course and that just started this downward spiral where she felt she was not good enough she was not going to start failing and began to just withdraw rather than be able to go to her father and say daddy I did really badly in this mark I'm feeling badly about it and he would have supported her and said you know sweetie just you know one bad mark you need some help and that's how it she felt she was underachieving and just started to give up entirely yeah so it was very sad now it turned out to be a good outcome but you know that um, because his father actually cried when he began talking about that and was devastated to think he was passing this on to his child when what he wanted to to really he wanted to protect his child of course he did yeah she didn't have that you know feeling of failure but 
in fact, he had passed, you know, his own beliefs onto this kid. So that's just one example. So, you know, when you talk about yourself, so I tend to be dismissing attached, and I've had to really look at that too and not pass that on, you know, mm-hmm. to children because, I mean, one of the reasons I'm highly successful in write books is because I'm just missing attached and I can withdraw from everybody and focus, you know, <laughs> on that and make sure, you know, I write, you know, for hours and, yeah. and I have to sort of say, oh, oh, wait, oops, no, I have to stop. Oh, I check, you know, check <laughs> yeah. in and check in with all my friends I've ignored, you know, for... <laughs> I mean, I I think I I so enjoy that you brought that up though, because these these parts of ourselves have been helpful for many of us. You know, they are they're there, you know, for it to serve a purpose, to keep us safe, to help us feel like we can, you know, belong in a world that's hard to belong in, that we can be worthy of love and connection. That's what they're those parts are all there for, to to protect us, keep us safe. And then they just become maladaptive over time when we're trying to have really meaningful connections. They were meaningful at the time. They were our belief about how we connect to our parents but eventually again they are not helpful in our intimate relationships and in our lives yeah Um, we just have to look at that and again we are all capable of changing Mm -hmm. Um, we have to work hard to do that but the first step is have that awareness right so if you are aware that you are uh, you know dismissing parent then you have to really know that what you're going to have to work at is getting more in touch with your own healings Mm -hmm. allowing yourself your own vulnerability um, so then you'll be able to allow that um, in the relationship you have with your children I you know so a a lot of the parents that I work with one-on-one and in my I have a membership community a lot of them understand the principles of respectful, you know, conscious, you know, healthy parenting. And they find it incredibly hard to put into practice because it's not their default wiring. And so we spend a lot of time kind of getting curious about your defaults and doing that healing work. And I I think that for some parents out there, they hear the like, they hear, oh, I shouldn't, you know, use timeouts or punishments. This is how I should, you know, help my child learn, you know, and then they just put it into practice. I feel like those parents probably have secure attachment relationships and are are kind of already there and just need a little nudge in the right direction. And it's easy. And for those of us for whom it's hard and, you know, so I, I teach this every day, right. But it's not easy for me, you know, there's other people who teach things and it seems like it's very easy for them, you know, to teach, to, they teach a respectful parenting and they live it and it's easy. That isn't, that is not my truth. That is not my lived experience. And I think it comes down to that. We have these things kind of going on under the surface that where we are attempting to work counter to kind of our wiring that has been laid down in childhood. And so doing that work of starting to change your parenting, changing maybe your attachment style, where can we start with that? After awareness. Okay, we're becoming yeah. aware <laughs> after awareness. And glad you really pointed that out because one of the concerns I have is that all of the parenting courses that are out there, yeah. and you know, the concepts are great, but you know, this whole concept of being present for your children, that's a lovely concept. But if you're a preoccupied attached parent, 
it's like a setup because you're but what the heck does that mean <laughs> You know what? You can get it intellectually, but for your brain to be present, you know, when it is in that yes, exactly occupied loop, it is impossible if you don't understand. The first, what you just have to do is accept that that's how your brain works, and you have to work really hard. Okay, or you might want to say to your partner, "Listen, what really will help me be available to our children is if you, when you say you're going to call me, that you really call me, yeah, or that." You- some signal that you know you're really thinking about me that's all that I need to kind of calm down and then I can be more available to our children like Mm -hmm. you know once you sort of both parties understand that in a couple then you know then you can work out things that help somebody be more available but just to you know that concept you have to be present for your children it's true. I so I so agree. That's why I made I, I made a course called Parenting from Within that is all about like figuring out how to have this come authentically from within you so that you don't have to fake it. Cause so many uh so many folks are just out there faking it. They get the scripts from Instagram and they say it to their kids and it means nothing because they're just saying what they think they're supposed to say and not it's not really coming from a deeper self-understanding. Right. But even if you, you know, again, you have the self-understanding, it certainly helps you change. It's not easy. Again, if you're dismissing, you know you have to be more emotionally available to your child. Or you have to say, well, how are you feeling that you did with Lousy in that course meeting, right? Well, mm-hmm. that's not going to come naturally. So, but again, you need to know it's hard for your brain not to say, well, you, you didn't do well in that course, right? And even if you do come out with that, you know, your instinctive, way of, of responding you can say I'm sorry sweetie you know what I know I was really harsh with you and not, not helpful so like you can always repair that like you, yeah you know, I was good I was gonna ask if we can talk a little bit about repairing before we jump in there I just want to keep talking just for a second about kind of changing so I mean I think one of the greatest ways you can be working on changing these things is to be working with a therapist working with someone who can yeah. guide you and really dig into stuff and dig into these pieces. Um, are there other ways folks kind of you, that you would recommend folks seek about going through the changing process? Well, so that's what I talk about in my book. So ideally, mm-hmm. yes, to do the deeper work would be the most helpful way for you to be a parent. But again, not everybody has the access, time, the luxury, the money, whatever. So again, what I'm kind of saying in my book is that if you can figure out your adult attachment simply from a description, mm-hmm. then you know, if you come out, you know, if you decide or come out recognizing that you're preoccupied, you know you have to work really hard to get yourself regulated, really work hard at being present for your kids. It's not easy for you. But there are guidelines that you really can use to help you start to parent differently while you're either working on yourself ideally, or you might not have that luxury, whatever. It doesn't mean you can't really work on changing your parenting habits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I I really make make that clear in the book. Because I think, again, we don't want to set people up to say, well, if you don't really do the deeper work, then you you will know your parent. Well, it's you know, I mean, I, it's, you know, it's interesting. So my mom is likely dismissive, obviously never done the, the and her, but 
it's it's interesting that she did not she did not start becoming really aware of that until I became a parent and started really working on myself and on my own relationship with her. My dad has been unwilling to kind of do that work with me, but my mom is willing to step into the arena with me. And now she has this awareness of like, oh gosh, Laura, I just shut down your feelings, didn't I? You know, and I mean, and it's just so lovely. And I'm, I'm turning 40 this year. You know, she's in her seventies. It's never too late to start doing this work. You know, the relationship I have with her is ever deepening and, you know, just delightful and so much better than it was in my teens and twenties. You know, it was great then too. She's a wonderful mom, but I feel much more seen and heard with her on a regular basis now. Oh my gosh. It's such, it's such a gift. Yes. That is a gift. Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't listen to the podcast, but she has given me permission to, to talk about it sometimes. So let's talk a little bit about repair, ruptures and repairs, which, you know, are a part of all relationships, healthy ones, secure ones, you know, there's miscues, even for secure parents and we miss their cues and need to repair. So let's talk a little bit about rupture and repair. So listen, we all have ruptures with our children. When you, you know, discipline your kid, you get angry at your child because we're all normal humans. And, yeah. You know, it inevitably happens. There is a rift. So in in that moment, you're really angry at your child. You don't feel love for them. Even though, you know, people say, well, I love my child. Of course, I love my child unconditionally. But in that moment, you don't feel it and your child doesn't feel it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's normal. What's really important is the repair. So again, what we know where kids have not had that experience of repair. So kids from orphanages, I mean, we'll, you know, because I worked a lot with adopted kids came from orphanage or, or just, you know, non-healthy functioning families, mm-hmm. that repair doesn't happen. So parent, you know, that is, again, a abusive parent, you know, yells and screams or mm-hmm. kid and then doesn't the next day say, I'm really sorry, sweetie. Um, kids that don't have that repair really feel pretty terrible inside. They often hold a lot of shame because they think they are bad kids, right? Because they did something, yeah. angry parent, created this rift that doesn't get repaired. So what is really important is the repair. So then that child knows, well, I did something I shouldn't be doing, but it didn't rupture the love that I have with this parent. So then they learn something. No, I guess I shouldn't have pulled those wires out of, you know, the TV or whatever, right? So that's the idea. Again, there's the rupture. When you're angry at your kids, it is a rupture. You always can repair that. And you can repair it even the next day. Let's just say you're so angry at your kid, you just cannot go and say, okay, sweetie, I want to talk about what happened. I know mom got really, really mad at you. Let's just say you're just so angry at your kid. You just are not able to do that for a long time. That's not the best scenario, but you can repair at any time. So the case that I was describing where this girl, you know, for a long period of time felt that her father was rejecting her because she did poorly in the mark, like that got repaired months later. But this father really was able to say, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean you know, to pass this on to you. So you feel really terrible because you just got a poor mark. So mm-hmm. we can do repairs, you know, months. You Especially know, as the kids get older, right? Yeah, so yeah, if they're yeah. younger, it maybe needs to happen a little bit more quickly because they have shorter memories. 
right. as I get older. You know, one of the right. things I have to do for myself like, as oh, yeah. go ahead. So, but ideally, you want to repair the rift as soon as possible. As soon as you can, yes, yeah. If you are an adult and you have an argument with your partner, your spouse, whatever, if you kind of believe, oh my God, that's the end of this relationship, it's because <laughs> you probably didn't experience repair. Yeah. But if you have, then you know you have a conflict with your partner, spouse, and you think, well, okay, we're just fighting about the dishwasher, we're fighting about this. You know, it's not the end of the relationship. It's not going to harm the relationship. It is about a particular item issue we're fighting about. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, again, that's just because you experience rupture with her as a child. Yeah. So, so very much impacts on us as adults. So that's why it's so important. Um, it is. Yeah. You know, I noticed for myself as a preoccupied person, I um, I sometimes rush to repair, with especially with my kids, because I'm seeking that reassurance from, from them. And so I have to be really aware and careful with myself around, am I seeking to repair so that I feel better? Or am I seeking to repair because they're ready and available so that I can and it's for them and for our relationship. Um, and so I have to be super, super aware and careful with myself on that piece too, to not rush it. Um, whereas my husband, who tends to be a little bit more dismissing, he has to be um, aware that it needs to happen at all. You know, he sometimes is just not even aware that there was a rupture. You know, right. he has to be kind of noticing those things more. Yeah. Exactly um, but it's good to be aware of those things. And what's nice about for my husband and I is that we're so aware of each other that we we help each other too, you know. So sometimes, you know, if I've had a, you know, conflict with one of the kids, my husband will, you know, hold me back and say, I know you really want to go make up with them right now. They need a few minutes to calm down. Why don't you just come with me, sit with me, talk with me. And he'll help me regulate myself so that when the kids are ready, then I'm ready to, they, you know, the repair is happening at their speed for them, you know, cause really that's what it's for. It's for them. We're adults. We need to be able to handle our stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Well, good. That's great. Yeah. Relationship, right? Oh gosh. I'm so, I'm so lucky. He's, he's definitely been willing to again, do, do the work with me. We got married while I was in grad school though. So I was in grad school for um, marriage and family therapy. So that was kind of a, when we got married, I was like, you do know that we will most likely go to therapy multiple times. <laughs> um, okay. Well, so Annette, I feel like this conversation was super helpful. I wonder, I just want to make sure that our listeners can know where to go to find your book or to find you and learn more from you. So the books, your first book is called It's Attachment. And the next one is Secure Parents, Secure Child. And they're they're lovely, like small doable books too. You know, they're not things like heavy tomes. You know, most parents I know have like a stack of 20 books on their bedside table that they're supposed to be reading. These ones are small and practical and with really good illustrative examples, which are really nice, you know, to read. But where can they go to find, I mean, so they can find these books wherever they get books. Yes. They can find these books on Amazon, you know, most bookstores, I think. Like uh, independent bookstores. We love supporting those. And certainly get them for you. But mm -hmm. Amazon is the, the 
guess the easiest way, or the publisher of the books is Guernica, but it's Ontario, Canadian publisher. Sure. But you can get it from them. But I think the easiest way is through Amazon. Um, cool. And do you have a website or social media where you teach or where they people can learn yeah. more? Yeah. So it's Annette Cusson, ther- AnnetteCussonTherapy.com. Okay. And people can contact me directly at my so my email address is on my website or it's a cousin at bellnet.ca so people have questions or you know just want to get in touch with me now i offer lots of workshops but it's mainly to professionals uh, so that's uh, i don't do it for parents yet <laughs> uh, well, let me know if you ever want to break into that scene <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> it's lots of fun <laughs> Yeah, parents sure are just the best. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I love getting to work with parents. They're just, I love them so much. <laughs> and you know what? I do want to emphasize that the, the whole intent of the books, because I teach professionals a lot. And as I was been doing that so much, I thought, you know, I really want to also bring this to yeah. people and parents. So I really tried to make these books easy to read practical, understandable. So that's been the whole intent is because these are self-help books. Yeah, um, well, we really appreciate that. It's one of the ways that we can broaden access. You know, all parents deserve access to the support they need to kind of meet their goals and their hopes for their kids and for their families. So exactly. thank you yeah. so much for that and for coming on the show and participating oh, in that. Pleasure, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Take good care. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, That's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.